Well, good morning, everybody. There is a new teaching series we're going to begin this morning called Forget You. And as we've begun to pray about this morning and this series as a staff, what became pretty obvious is that God may be doing more than we initially expected. As individuals have kind of gone off and said, hey, God, what, what do you want to accomplish during the next several weeks? Over and over and over again, it seems to be we're hearing from him that he's ready to, to begin something new in, in hopefully your life, in our lives, and in this church. And, and my prayer for you personally is this, that over the next several weeks together, God would so make an impact in your life that as he begins to shape you and send you in new directions and kind of open maybe your understanding of who he is and what he plans to do with you, that who you find yourself to be today may become a distant memory, that, that he would so change us that we would almost forget where he's brought us from. As a matter of fact, that's kind of the idea of the title we're looking at today, Forget You. We're going to begin over the next several weeks to see how God moves and shapes us when he begins relationship with us and how that, that changes us so dramatically that we can almost not remember who we used to be. And so that, that's a big undertaking. That's a tall bill. And so I just want to begin this morning by praying for you, praying for me, praying for this church. And so I just invite you, would you join me together now and pray? God, thank you that you have bigger plans than we have for ourselves. Thank you that you are capable of far more than we can do on our own. And so God, I just invite your Holy Spirit here today, right here in the middle of this room. You're already here. You're already moving. Would you open up our minds? Would you begin to speak into our lives? And would you create in us the people, the individuals, the husbands, the wives, the families that you've dreamed we would be all along? And Lord, would our city be forever different as a result? Amen. Well, every kid dreams of what they'll be one day when they get independence, when they can get a job, when they can do something uh, by their own choice. Some of you are still trying to figure that out today. Um, but w when I was a kid, I had a dream. I, I dreamed, probably not a normal dream like most people, I dreamed um, deeply and passionately that one day, if I worked hard enough, I could achieve the goal of becoming what I called then uh, as a trash man. I wanted to be, more than anything else, a trash man. What we would call today a sanitation engineer. And, and that was back before I really realized they got incredible benefits and a really good salary. I had purer motives than that at the age of five. At the age of five, what I knew is the biggest, strongest, coolest, you know, burliest men that I found in, in, in society were those brave warriors on the trash truck. And, and I don't want to say anything bad about the, the career now, but back then was when men were men and they hung on the side of trucks, right? There was no video game joystick to pick up the trash can. There were dudes like hanging out on the back and they got to travel the town from behind this powerful machine. And that was the dream for me. So much so that every single trash day, my mom says I would wait like on pins and needles for the trash truck to round the corner of our cul-de-sac. And I would go running after them. Hey, trash man. Hey, trash man. Right in the window. I'd wave until they couldn't see me anymore. And apparently things kind of went sideways one day. Um, my mom had brought me upstairs. I was five, maybe four, something like that. 
and, and she decided, it, you know, I must have smelled bad. It was time for a bath. She gives me a bath. I get out of the bathtub. She hands me the towel. I run into my room and I do what every boy does, you know, at that age. I started putting on my boots first, like, because that's priority. You got to put on your cowboy boots. But as I was putting on my cowboy boots, I heard that familiar sound of the trash truck rolling around the corner, at which point I seized an opportunity. And I ran down the stairs before my mom could catch me, out the front door and across the lawn down the street with nothing on but a smile and some cowboy boots, <laughs> waving the entire time to my heroes, hey, trash man, hey, trash man, hey, trash man. I lived in the front yard for years before my mom would take me back in. She was so embarrassed. It's this kind of thread that runs through humanity that, that we all kind of share in is that we all dream about our future. We dream about things that we could be or things that could happen or things that might take place. We have all kinds of different dreams. Some of us can remember dreams gone by, things that we used to dream about that finally came to completion. And we look at those as anchor points in our history, things we celebrate and that build confidence in us and our future. Some of us today, we're sitting and dreaming and thinking about what life could be if this happens or if this happens or if we work hard enough or if we get the promotion or whatever that might be. And we have dreams today for our future. Some of us, if we were going to be really honest, we go, you know what? Right now, I am living in the middle of a dream. It's a dream come true. Life is going great. Our dreams take on different shapes, different sizes. Sometimes we have simple dreams. Sometimes they're complex. Sometimes uh, they're, they're small. And sometimes they're what one author refers to as big, hairy, audacious goals or dreams. And while all of our dreams may look different, the common thread, especially in a country like America where the opportunities seem so much bigger than other corners of the world, common thread is this, that we all have dreams. And one of the things that we've heard again and again growing up in this country is something we've often called the American dream. It's, it's sort of, if I'm being honest, a half-truth that's been whispered into our ears that, that if we would work hard enough, if we would invest enough, if we would put in the effort or be willing to make enough sacrifice, there's not a dream out there that we couldn't realize there's not a dream that we couldn't capture and i don't know if you're like me but reality reality doesn't always line up with that dream while god has blessed my family again and again and again and i've been able to see multiple dreams come into reality the the truth is this that some of our dreams despite our best efforts may seem beyond our reach Maybe you're like some of the people that I've met along the way that have had to see a dream die. Maybe you're like my roommate Bobby in college. His only dream was to, to be a fireman. Bobby thought again and again about what it would be like to be a civil servant. He considered uh, working as a police officer, but really wanted to be a fireman. And, and I eventually asked him, dude, why are you paying a bunch of money to go to a small private Christian school if all you want to do is be a fireman? And he said, well, I studied and studied and studied so I could pass the test, and I work out all the time. And it showed the dude was ripped. And he's like, I, I did everything I could so that I could pursue that career, but during the physical, they found out I had a leaky valve in my heart, and that immediately disqualified me from what I wanted to do with my life. And in that moment, a dream died. 
something that was beyond his control. See, you can study and you can exercise and you can work out, but you can't undo genetics, can you? Or maybe you're like some of the families I've met here, even somewhat like our own family, who the dream for you is to be a mom or to be a dad, to give birth to your own children. And somewhere along the way, a doctor lets you know that biology flat out said no. And you watched a dream die. Maybe that dream had to die so another dream could come to life. The dream of adoption or the dream of just taking care and, and investing in other people's children. See, we can work on loving kids. We can read all the books about parenting, but we can't undo biology. And sometimes those dreams come to an end. Maybe you're a college student or a high school student looking towards what that next step might be and you've got the dream school like you sent in the letters you've done all your work you've put in the time studying and you're waiting for the letter to come back and the answer was no didn't mean you didn't get into any schools that was i was hoping for any school but maybe the one you were hoping for is like a friend of mine's son who had a 4.0 when he graduated high school and he just happened to graduate with a class that excelled above most. And even with his impeccable score, he couldn't get into the school he was dreaming of. Not because he didn't study, not because he didn't have great grades. The bar was just so high that someone had to get cut and it was him. See, the truth is this. If we invest enough and we work hard enough, many of our dreams can come true. This is not like, hey, let's go rain on all your dreams. You should dream. You should dream big. But the truth is this, that for many of us, we will experience at least one, if not several dreams in our lives that despite our greatest efforts are unattainable or at least out of reach in the setting that we find ourselves in. And as I was thinking about this idea of dreams, the, the aspirations we have for our lives, something kind of funny came to my mind, and it's this, that, that we often dream different dreams for the people we love the most than we dream for ourselves. I mean, I think about like how I dream for miles. No one means more to me in the world than our son. I love him, love him, love him. And so when Miles goes to bed and I go to pray for him and I pray for big dreams for him, what I find myself praying about is this. I pray, God, would, would you make Miles a man of integrity and character? Would you raise him up as someone that loves no matter what he faces or what opposition comes his way would you teach him to know you beyond what his father has known in you would you place your spirit on him and use him in ways that would seem out of reach for me i dream those kind of dreams for my son when i dream for me if i want to be really transparent i dream of things like this success wealth notoriety promotion influence so there's something strange that happens with us. When it comes to our kids, we dream of quality and character. But when it comes to our own life, oftentimes we settle for dreams of achievement or acquisition. Now here's the big question I want to ask you today. It's the one that's messing with me right now. Why? Why is it that when we look into the eyes of the people we want the very best for, we dream something for them that, that, that we don't dream for ourselves, And here's the suspicion 
that I have, much like our dreams of careers or parenthood, much like our dreams of college, somewhere along the way we gave it our best effort and it seemed impossible. We, we don't think we could be those kind of people. So, so somewhere in the journey we decided we would settle and dream those dreams for somebody else. And if it wasn't for a short few verses in the book of Galatians chapter 5, I would tell us that that, that settling is probably accurate. That settling is probably okay, but God doesn't leave us there. We've got Bibles coming down the aisle now. And if you'd like to read with us in a Bible, uh, just raise your hand. If you don't have one at home, we'd love to just say, hey, keep that and, and take it home. You may want to read this verse later this week. Um, it's our gift to you. Here are my goals out of what we read in Galatians 5 today. The first one is this, that maybe together we would capture a picture of just how big of an act God can, can see through in our lives, just how big of a change he can bring about in your life and in my life. And secondly, as a result of that, that maybe today you would dream again about becoming the man that God has always wanted you to be. Or maybe today you can dream again about being the woman that God has always designed you to be, that you would now begin to grasp onto God's dreams for your life and again believe that they could be your reality. The big idea that's going to drive our conversation today says this, that God can produce within me what I cannot produce myself. And when it comes to my dreams for my life, those dreams of character, those dreams of quality, those dreams of knowing him, those dreams of living out the plans he has for me, when it comes to my life, God can produce within me what I cannot produce myself. Check out what it says. Paul really kind of gives us three chunks of things he talks about, and he starts with a snapshot of this wrestling match we often find ourselves in between what God wants for us and sometimes how we feel like we fail at it along the way. He says this, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So, so Paul kind of gives the captain obvious moment to us, and he goes, hey, most of your life probably has been spent wrestling between the person you, you aspire to be or God aspires for you to be and, and really the reality of you know, a normal day. Maybe you've experienced this, like you pray, God, help me. I want to be a parent, or I want to be a businessman, or I want to be a leader that's noted as a person of, of peace and, and calm, and yet that, that two-year-old starts teething again, and they're screaming, and they're insane people. And, and then all of a sudden, that calm and that peace goes out the window, and, and you're just joining them, screaming in the room, and, and you go, man, I blew it. And what we experience just for a second is that tension that Paul talks about between the person we wanted to be, the person we feel like would honor God if we were, and the reality of who we are. Or, or maybe you've aspired to be a person of generosity, recognizing that God has been generous, even with the life of his own son, and, and you're like, you know what, God, I wanna respond to generosity with every part of my life, but there are those moments when the future seems unclear, right? And if you're like me, those are the moments where I start getting a little tighter grip 
on my resources. And it can be really easy in those moments to cash in this dream of, of generosity for the exchange of control. And we feel that tension again between who God wants us to be, who we aspire to be, and the reality of who we sometimes are. That maybe you want to honor your spouse with what you're looking at with your eyes, with how you see other people, with what you think in your mind, and you're working hard at it, you're asking God to help you with it, and then that person walks across your path, and you, your eyes go where they shouldn't go, your mind goes where they shouldn't go, and you feel like, man, what a failure, I've blown it. And again, we experience this tension between our heart's desire, God's desire for us, and the reality of living as a human being. See, it's in these moments that we see the dreams God has for us, the dreams that we have for ourselves, the people we want to be, collide with the reality of today, collide with these opposing desires. Paul says, the way he describes it is this, these two forces, God's dreams and my reality, these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that we are not free to carry out our good intention. Anyone ever lived in the middle of this? Anybody like me, you're going, hey, I'm living in the middle of this. So what do we do? We know who we want to be. We know who God wants us to be. We just feel like we can't get there in the middle of it. What are we left to do? And what I found is people try a handful of things. Sometimes we just try harder. Like if I do the same thing I did before, but with better effort or a different mindset, then things are just going to work out, right? Nope. Or, or sometimes we try more. So instead of just trying harder, now I'll just try harder more often, and I'll buy the books, and I'll get a cassette tape. They don't invent those anymore. You know, they're not around, but maybe I'll get an MP3, or I'll download something, or I'll watch a TV program, or I'll get a podcast, or I'll watch a blog, and, and I'll do those things. And then, because I tried harder and I worked more, then things will work out. And yet, if you're like me, you can do all those things and still blow it as a human being. I'm good at that. Or maybe sometimes we do what really leads us to the death of the dream of who God wants us to be in the first place, the reason we pray for other people and not ourselves to be men and women of character, we just quit. We give up. And yet in the middle of that, Paul begins to offer us a different opportunity that God literally changes the equation for us and how we deal with sin. He says it this way, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, when I read a lot of what Paul says, I'm just being honest, typically it sounds like this. What the heck does that mean? Live by the Spirit. Let the Spirit guide your lives. Am I watching a Jedi movie? What are we talking about? What he's ultimately talking about is a very peculiar promise that Jesus made to his disciples in John chapter 17. He, he gave them this incredible news. Great news. I'm sure they threw a party about it. He said, guys, they're going to kill me here in a few days. Cool. Thanks, Jesus. And he says, hey, get this. It's good that I go back to be with the Father. They're going, hey, you're the, the boss. That's bad news for us. He said, no, no, no. It's good that I go to the Father. Because if I go to him... I'm going to send my spirit, not to be with you. See, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, 
The disciples knew what it was like to walk with Jesus. And Jesus says, look, if I return to the Father, I'm going to come and send my spirit and the spirit will take up residence in your life. And the power that you saw me display will now live in you. The, the character that you saw me live out can now live in you. The, the, the things that you saw or seen me do, the life that I have lived will now flow through you. See, it's one thing to walk and hang out with Jesus. It's a different thing to have Jesus live within you. And this is what Paul is saying when we begin a relationship with Jesus and invite him into our lives. He doesn't come and live in us like we talk about at funerals where we tell somebody that they'll always be with you. That's a metaphor. He says there is a significant spiritual shift that takes place when now God inhabits the very physical body of our lives and things that were previously impossible, character things, power things, life things are forever different. He says, so I tell you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then. Everybody say that word, then. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, it's when God lives in us that we can change. See, if you try it on your own power, you'll just come to an eventual and inevitable point of failure. It is with and through Jesus only that we have access to this kind of life change. And one of the first ways we really experience this is that tension he's talking about. Maybe you've come to faith and you find yourself starting to question things that you've never questioned before. Here's what it feels like. It's annoying. Like you don't ever want to say, God, you're annoying. But let's just be real. When God moves in and begins to change our lives, sometimes it's a little annoying. You're like, oh, I used to do that thing and I really liked it. Now I feel kind of questionable about it. These things used to go on in my life, and, and I was really excited about those things. Now I feel kind of funny about those things. When we begin to feel these first echoes of tension in our life, it is God beginning to produce within us a different reality. And while they may seem a little obnoxious, a little annoying, they are the moments in time where God first and foundationally begins to change who we are. Romans 8.2 says this is what's happening. It says, because you belong to him, You've asked Jesus to live within you. You've asked him to have a relationship. The power of the life-giving spirit, his spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, in this moment when we invite Jesus into our life, we begin to experience the very beginning stages of God producing a new reality for us, a reality in which we no longer have to sin. See, you don't know this, but before you had a relationship with Jesus, you had no choice but to sin. You had no choice but to blow it. You had no choice but to mess up. You could kind of manage the symptoms for a while, but it was inevitable. And Paul says that for the very first time, we have a freedom, we have a decision not to do that anymore. Will we do it perfectly? Will you never sin again? That's not gonna happen. But do you have the ability to say, you know what? No, I'm gonna follow the Spirit to a different reality. Yes. See, Paul begins to tell us what our big idea says, that God can produce within me what I cannot produce myself. Unless we look at who we are and go, you know what, what's the big problem? Paul gives us a picture of where we wind up left to our own devices. Verses 19 through 21, he says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, try this like an auctioneer. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you, here's the result of them. As I have before, that anyone who lives this sort of life 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul goes, look, you're feeling this tension, and you should. Here's why. If God doesn't provide that tension and help to change your life, this is where you wind up. And these things will always and forever divide you from the God who is your only source of hope and life. See, you and I ultimately want this wrestling match because it's within this wrestling match that we are changed from the people we don't want to be anymore into the people that God has always created us to become. See, most of us wouldn't look at that list and go, yeah, I wrestle with all those things. Probably not. Anybody, you know, your sorcerer out there, you know, God can help you. there's a high likelihood that there's four or five of those you probably don't want to tell anybody else about, but they are the secret sin in your life. They're the thing that grips you, that you go back to again and again and again, and you don't know how to get away from it. And the thing about God is this, he's a just God. When, when God says that he's just, that means this, he can't look at those kind of lives and the impact they have on the people around us. See, when I live that way, I hurt people and let that go. When someone lives that way and hurts you, what do you say? Someone should do something about this, and God does. He's just. He will do what is right. But here's where God's crazy. He's not like you or I. He's not only just, but he justifies. So when God said that kind of life requires a response, he said, you know what, Jesus? You're going to be the response. Without you, they'll have to bear the consequences of that on their own. But with you, you take the punishment for those so that they can have new life and relationship with me. That's insane kind of love. He doesn't compromise his integrity to enable us to do bad things. That's unbelievable. And not only that, but he refuses to leave us there. See, he could just forgive us, but we'd be in the same cycle of nonsense. Jesus said when he goes back, he comes to live within us so that we have another option. We can slowly but surely be changed by the Holy Spirit and become different people along the way. See, God can produce within me in forgiveness and in life change what I cannot produce myself. And then Paul kind of wraps it up and puts a bow on it. He goes, hey, here's the tension that you feel. Here's the reality God's leading you from. This is why you feel the tension. Here's how he wraps it up verses 22 through 25. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there are no laws. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed those passions and desires with their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See, oftentimes I think we get wrapped up thinking that God's so concerned about the bad people he doesn't want us to be. Let me tell you, God is far more interested in who he is creating you to be than who you used to be. God is way more excited and involved in who he's leading you to be than shaming you for the things that you've done. God is always active, always working, always moving to create something better in us. The person and the people and the man and the woman, the husband and the wife and the mother and the father that he has always longed for us to be in the first place. He not only forgave us so we could be those people again, but he lives inside of us to help us get there. That is an incredible God. He leads us away from the old path 
into a new one. He nails the old life there. He took that for us so that we can be free to go where he designed us to go. John McLarnon is the site pastor at our Cary location, and he describes the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives this way. He says it's like the first time you hop in the lazy river. That's an awkward experience. There's this current, and it's pushing against you, and it feels wrong, and your first tendency is to do this. Hold strong while you feel the pressure of the current pushing against your body, but eventually what you learn is slap on a little sunscreen, hop on a tube, and let the current take you where it's going because its path is better than standing there resisting it. And when the Holy Spirit first moves in, what so often happens is it feels unnatural. We feel that tension. It doesn't feel right because everything is changing within us. And this is God's activity, not only to save us from who we don't want to be anymore, but also to grow us into the people he's always wanted us to be. It's a great God. And oftentimes where I see people kind of tap out is this, but we think when we begin that relationship, we wake up the next morning and all our problems are done. But the word that Paul uses is so vital for us to understand. He says the word is this, produce. God will produce these things in you. God will produce love and joy and peace and patience. These are the things over time he produces. And producing indicates process, and process always takes time. You may begin a relationship with Jesus today, and it take him the next five years to work out some of these things in your life, the next 10 years to work out some of these things in your life, but you can guarantee that God is not done with you because the Holy Spirit is always and forever producing these things in our life, week by week, moment by moment, day by day, so that who we used to be at some point in time begins to feel like a distant memory, something, a person that we've forgotten. And so today, let me ask you, have you been trying to change? Be somebody, be a good boy, be a good girl, whatever, on your own, and worn out from it? And today, I just want to invite you, maybe, maybe for the very first time, to go, God, I need a Savior, because I know where default is for me. And I don't want to be there anymore. Jesus, I need you, and I'm asking you to step in. He's ready. He's willing. We're going to pray at the end. You can pray that, and he's there. It's done. And the Holy Spirit will take up residence in you and begin to change you in ways you never thought possible. Or maybe you're someone who's already trusted Jesus and somewhere along the way you thought, okay, I got it from here, God, and you're working on your own. And in the very same way, you know where you wind up? Tired. And God's calling to you, just come back. I've been able to handle this the whole time. Let me produce in you what you cannot produce on your own. If you'd like to talk with a pastor or one of our staff after we pray, we'll have some folks up here and available to you. I'd love to talk with you. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you. They don't leave us on our own. You don't leave us to our own devices, but you have provided not only a savior, but a spirit to change us and to forgive us. And God, we couldn't do that on our own. We just praise you that you've made those things available. I pray for my friends who need change and they're trying to do it themselves. Lord, would you empower them through you and you alone? Help them trust you in faith to become the men and women you've always longed for them to be. Amen.